Thanks, Bev Luke. Father, thank you so much. As we read in Psalm 103, you're a father who has compassion on us. That you don't treat us as our sins deserve. We praise you that Jesus is the friend of sinners. And so we pray that by your spirit you would make us ever more grateful for the forgiveness that we've received and so ever more in love with Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine that one evening this week you're invited over to someone's house for dinner. It's not someone you know super well. Uh, Maybe it's someone you've just met in your new a class at school or college, and maybe it's a new colleague or, or a neighbor that's just moved into your street, something like that. When you arrive, you knock on the door, but instead of someone getting up to greet you and open the door for you, you just hear this faint voice from inside. It's open! So you wander in. No one turns up to greet you or take your coat, so you just you know, hang it up on the banister. You, you wander around and you step into, nervously, what looks like the dining room. And you see everyone sat around the table, but no one there gets up to offer you a drink. Instead, they just sort of point to a chair around the table that's vacant for you to sit in. No one offers to serve you your food. Instead, everyone else just starts tucking in. And you realize they've almost finished. They couldn't even wait for you to arrive before they've started eating. And then for the rest of the evening, rather than talking to you and engaging you in conversation, they just sit there on their phone scrolling through Instagram. Well, I wonder, how would you feel as a guest in that situation? How how do you feel as a guest in that situation? My guess is you would probably feel quite offended. Rightly so, right? You've been invited over for dinner, that's nice. But your host hasn't bothered to show you any of the usual basic courtesies that we show to guests in our home. No one's greeted you, no one's taken your coat, no one's offered you a drink. That's exactly the same situation that Jesus finds himself in in our story this evening. If you've closed your Bible, open it up again, page 1036. It'll help you to follow along uh, with the story. But what makes it even worse for Jesus is that in his culture... This culture for Jesus, it's a culture where hospitality is really important. It's a culture that prides itself on being generous and showing kindness to other people who come into your house. And Jesus has been invited to attend as the honored guest, but he has shown no honor at all. In fact, Simon, his host, has failed to show him even the most basic courtesies of Middle Eastern hospitality. Verse 44, he provided no water for Jesus to wash his feet. It's like not bothering to take someone's coat when they get to your house. Verse 45, he didn't greet Jesus with a kiss when he arrived. It's like not even bothering to open the door. Verse 46, he gave Jesus no oil for his head. It's like not offering someone a drink. When Jesus, when it comes to Jesus, to be perfectly honest, Simon couldn't care less. He has no respect for Jesus, let alone love for Jesus. 
But the woman in our story, she is totally different to Simon. I mean, in every way, think about the differences. Uh, Simon is a morally upright, wealthy, religious leader. We know his name in this story. He's the kind of person you schmooze at a dinner party because he is powerful and influential. But she is anonymous, deliberately so in this story. Not because she isn't known. She is known for all the wrong reasons. No, she, we don't get a name because in her society, she isn't worth knowing. In our story, she doesn't say anything. She has no lines. But her actions speak. And Luke, the, the writer of this gospel, he wants to highlight this woman as an example for us to follow. That's quite common for Luke. And throughout his gospel, he does that. At the beginning of the gospel, it's the male priest, Zechariah, who is struck dumb for unbelief, and the young girl, Mary, who's commended for her faith. And it's the same at the end. The female disciples are those who believe what's happened about Jesus, and the men doubt. And here, again, the Pharisee, the male Pharisee is rebuked, and the sinful woman is commended. She probably would have been a Luke's guest list, but she is not on Simon's. Simon would not be seen dead with a woman like this. But sometimes at these kind of dinner parties, they're sort of semi-public. So there's a, a, a list of invited guests. They're there to eat, to sit at the table. But then a few of the more middle-class members of town, they would be invited to sort of stand around the edge of the room as a kind of audience. They're not there to eat. They're not invited, per se. But they're allowed to listen in to the conversation between the Pharisees and this new rabbi, Jesus. And so the woman, she, she's heard that Jesus is going to be going to dinner at Simon's house, and she sees her chance. She's a, there's a public audience maybe she can blend in with. But it's pretty clear, isn't it? Someone like her should not really be at a place like this. It takes a lot of courage for her to go. And yet, she goes, because she, she will do anything she can to get near to Jesus, except when she does, she breaks every rule in the book. She comes up behind Jesus, she breaks ranks from the public gallery, and she walks out into the open towards Jesus, and as she does that, you can hear the hush come over the room. People whispering to each other, what is she doing here? What is she doing? She approaches Jesus, kneels down before him, crying. She washes his feet with her tears, streaming from her eyes. Wipes them with her hair kisses his feet, and then pours out this jar of expensive perfume. That perfume probably represents her life savings, gone literally down the drain. But it's deliberate. She brought this perfume on purpose for this very reason, for this elaborate, emotional outpouring of love and affection for Jesus. Why does she do that? Because Unlike Simon, she loves Jesus. 
deeply, intensely, extravagantly. And it's interesting, isn't it? In the end, every courtesy that Simon ought to have shown to Jesus, he has received from the woman. Simon ought to have offered him water, at least so Jesus could wash his own feet. Simon didn't, but this woman has. Even stooping to the place of the lowest servant to wash Jesus' feet with great humility. Simon ought to have offered him a kiss on the cheek. It's the most sort of basic formal greeting in the Middle East. Simon didn't. But this woman hasn't stopped kissing Jesus' feet with great affection. Simon could have offered Jesus some simple, inexpensive olive oil as a sign of blessing. Simon didn't. But this woman has not just blessed Jesus with some cheap olive oil, but with the most expensive perfume she has with great devotion. Simon ought to have shown Jesus at least some simple hospitality. He didn't. But this woman has shown him the most lavish love. But her actions are quite shocking, aren't they? I don't know how you feel about seeing public displays of affection. I don't know how you feel if you sort of see a couple passionately kissing in the street or something like that. But this is a whole other level, isn't it? I mean, if you'd have been there watching this unfold before your eyes, don't you think you would have felt at least a little bit uncomfortable? A little bit awkward? Jesus is being intimately touched, kissed, by a woman who's not his wife. Her hair is down, which respectable Jewish women never did in public, only in the bedroom. But then again, she's not a respectable woman. This is culturally really inappropriate. She's used up her whole life savings to anoint Jesus' feet with this hugely expensive perfume. It's awkward, isn't it? But there's more. Because in verse 37, Luke tells us this is a woman who has lived a sinful life. Now, most likely when Luke tells us that, he's being kind of British. Classic British understatement. She is almost certainly a prostitute. That only adds to the awkwardness of what she's doing, doesn't it? And everyone knows that about her. Everyone knows her lifestyle. Always a different man coming in and out of the house. She is the woman that people on our streets gossip about. Everyone knows what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. And it's all a bit much for Simon, the Pharisee. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Simon's conclusion is that the only possible explanation for someone like Jesus allowing a woman like that anywhere near him is that Jesus obviously doesn't know who she is. And so therefore, he obviously is not a prophet as the people claim. But Simon is wrong. Jesus, in fact, is much more than a prophet. He's the one, verse 49, who can do what only God can do, forgive sins. See, Jesus does know. Jesus knows all about her, just as he knows all about Simon, including what he's thinking. 
just as Jesus knows everything there is about us, even the things we prefer to keep hidden from other people. Actually, the most shocking thing about this story is that Jesus lets her do this to him. See, we we know, don't we, public displays of affection, they're always a bit risky. Uh, If you try to kiss the person you're with and they're not too fond of public displays of affection and they sort of like, they try to (laughs) get out the way, it's kind of humiliating, isn't it? That's what Prince Harry found out. Uh, He went to a basketball game and there's this thing called Kiss Cam, found Harry and Meghan. He went in for the kiss and she went in for the gentle avoid. Awkward. Humiliating. He tries to laugh it off, but it's, feel it. And this very public display of affection in our story is very risky for this woman, especially in a culture like this. What if Jesus awkwardly kind of steps away from her, publicly in view of everyone? Or worse, what if he publicly condemns her in front of everyone for doing this? What would you have done if you were in Jesus' shoes? Certainly, if this had been Simon, he would have stood up, backed away, shamed her and humiliated her in front of everyone, made sure that she was thrown out in front of everyone. Simon does not want a woman like that touching him. What would people say? But Jesus, knowing who she is, knowing what everyone's saying about her and about him, let's her do it. Jesus knows this isn't really culturally appropriate, but he lets it happen. He doesn't awkwardly usher her to the side. He doesn't quietly remove himself from this embarrassing situation. He lets it happen. He lets this sinful woman touch him and kiss him in ways that are not really appropriate. And in doing so, he shifts the blame. He takes the shame away from her and puts it on himself. Isn't Jesus brilliant? His understanding and kindness and compassion and tenderness towards this woman is beautiful, isn't it? Takes the focus of the shame away from her, puts it on himself. And it makes what is potentially a very risky move into a beautiful moment as she publicly pours out this display of love for Jesus. And what this shows us about Jesus is that verse 34 is wonderfully, gloriously true. At the start of this passage, it's part of the passage we looked at last week, but I asked you to, to read those two verses because... In verse 34, we're told that lots of the people in Jesus' day, they saw Jesus at all these different kind of dinner parties, including this one he's at tonight with Simon, with all different kinds of sinners. And the people of his day, they accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard, the friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they mean it as an insult. Jesus is meant to be holy, but he's hanging out with all these terrible sinners. They could not imagine that the glad heart of God would actually be drawn towards those kinds of people that the world holds at arm's length. But it is. And they are right. 
Not about Jesus being a glutton and a drunkard. They're wrong about that. But they're right about the rest. Jesus really is the friend of tax collectors and sinners. Those are the people he came for. Sinners. People who are trapped in addiction to alcohol or drugs or gambling. People caught in sexual sin who have a different man or woman in the house every night. People playing the benefit system. People who've just made bad choices. People who are selfish and uncaring. Gossips and slanderers. Liars and cheats. People driven by money and ambition. Even people who are blinded by their own hypocrisy and self-righteousness. Jesus is the friend of sinners. So let me say, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you are welcome here. You are welcome because whatever you've done, whatever it is that you least want people to know about you or your life, you can be sure of this. Jesus is a friend of sinners. That's the deal with Jesus. The friend of sinners. He's the one who if we come to him in repentance and faith, if we want to get away from our sin and and get near him, he will forgive us. That's good news for every single one of us here this morning because if Jesus weren't the friend of tax collectors and sinners, we would all be lost. But let let me also just say here, uh, if you're a church member here or, or a regular, you should expect that our church will fill up with people like that. If we're living as Jesus did, we should expect sinners to be attracted to church because of Jesus. Not the nice, respectable people who never do anything wrong, but sinners. Because it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Those are the people that Jesus came for, not to call the righteous who think they've got it all together, but sinners to repentance. And when that happens, we can respond in two ways. We can either respond like Simon with a kind of self-righteous disapproval looking down on other people. Or we can respond like Jesus in love and welcome. But we will only respond like Jesus if we see ourselves in the same way. Sinners who need forgiveness. Because this story, it alerts us to a massive danger if you're a Christian. Because as long as we think of Jesus only as the friend of sinners out there... Those of us in here will be deeply deficient in our love for Jesus. That's the point of Jesus' little story in verses 41 and 42. One 
person in Jesus' story owes a debt of 50 denarii, the other 500. To put that in context, one owes about two months' wages, the other owes nearly two years' wages. But here's the point, verse 42, neither of them had the money to pay him back. Neither can pay back. So the man forgives the debts of both. And at last, Simon gets something right. Of course, the one who owed the bigger debt feels a greater sense of gratitude and love to the person who's forgiven them. And Jesus says, that's the difference between Simon and this woman. The reason that she loves Jesus so deeply, so extravagantly is because, verse 47, she knows, she knows she has a massive debt of sin that she could never pay, but which Jesus has completely forgiven. Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, verse 47. It's not that her love earned her forgiveness, no. Her love is the proof of her forgiveness, which she received by faith in Jesus. Your faith has saved you. That, that must mean, by the way, that in verse 48, when Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven, that's not the first time she's heard that. She, otherwise, Jesus' parable makes no sense. Verse 48, it's the kind of public reassurance, confirmation that she really has been forgiven. It's as if Jesus is saying to her in front of everyone, it's true. You really are forgiven. You are saved. You have peace with God. At some point before this evening, this woman has heard Jesus teaching, explaining how no matter how big your debt of sin, no matter how far you've wandered from God, no matter how bad you've been, you can be forgiven. It doesn't matter how much you owe. Jesus can pay off your debt in full, every last penny through his death on the cross. And she believed it. She experienced that wonder of Jesus' forgiveness and her heart filled up with a well of love for Jesus. She loved much because she'd been forgiven much. And she isn't the only one. Uh, there's a group of women in chapter 8 uh, from all kinds of different backgrounds who travel around with Jesus and his apostles generously, sacrificially supporting their ministry out of their own means. Other rabbis in the first century refused to even talk to women. But not Jesus, he welcomed them. But I read that description last week, this week and I was just uh, reminded of how grateful I am for all of the women in this church who model this, that same kind of love and devotion to Jesus, serving him, supporting the gospel out of your own means. You're a wonderful example to us of what it looks like to love Jesus. Just as these women did, who love much because they've been forgiven much. But... Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And now we understand. Now we understand. This is why the broken and needy receive Jesus with such joy. 
And this is why the Pharisees like Simon were so offended by Jesus. That's, this is why Simon treats Jesus like he does. See, Simon thinks if he has any debt at all, it's only small. If he has any debt at all, I can pay it off. He's blinded by his self-righteousness. He does not see his own deep need for forgiveness. You see, Simon thinks there are two kinds of people in the world. Simon thinks that the fundamental difference between human beings is that some people are sinners and other people are not. That's what he thinks. Some people are sinners, some people are saints. That is not it. Simon is wrong again. Because the fundamental difference is not that some people are sinners and others are not. It's not that some people are bad and others are not. It's not that some people are saints and others are sinners. That's not it. The difference is that some people are honest sinners and others are not. The distinction is not between those who are bad and those who are good, but those who are bad and deny it, and those who are bad and admit it. Simon, like this woman, has the same unpayable debt. He has a debt of sin he cannot pay. The difference is he's not willing to admit it. He's not willing to be honest about his own sin. Not willing to be honest about his own deep personal need for forgiveness. And so, he does not love Jesus. And because of that, he doesn't love other people either. See, Simon is trying to climb the ladder of good works, trying to prove his own righteousness. But what do you do when you're climbing a ladder? You, you only can see the people below you. And so he looks down on her with disapproval because all he can see is her sin, not his own. His self-righteousness makes him proud and smug and loveless. So let me ask you, what about you? You more like Simon or the woman? If, if you're anything like me, you may have this uneasy feeling this morning that you're more like Simon than you want to be. Maybe you feel this morning like your heart is actually quite cold towards Jesus. What, what this story shows us is that if we want to kill our pride and our self-righteousness, if we want to stop looking down on others and welcome people like Jesus did, above all, if we want to grow in our own love for Jesus, that starts by first recognizing our own sin. That's the start. See, if we play down repentance, if we try to present our sins as small, then salvation will be small. Jesus' forgiveness will be small. We will have small love, small devotion. The only solution is to be honest about the debt we owe. 
every day. Not just saying, oh, I, I had a debt once. That's not enough. To recognize today, even this morning, I have accrued a debt of sin that I cannot pay. I know that being honest about our sin does not come naturally to us. When we're confronted by our sin, our natural defenses rise up. We deny, we make excuses, we shift the blame. But listen, when you see Jesus as who he is, the friend of sinners, you can be honest about your sin. Because you know how he's going to receive you. He's not going to receive you and condemn you. He's going to receive you and welcome you with compassion and grace. If you want to love Jesus more, it starts with seeing your own sin. But it doesn't stop there. Because you also have to receive Jesus' forgiveness. Jesus doesn't want to leave you groveling in guilt this morning. He wants you to joyfully experience the wonder of his forgiveness. Like that woman, to have that well of love rise up in your heart. And that happens as we look to the cross. Because the cross makes those two things clear to us. The cross shows us the true cost of our sin. What it costs Jesus to deal with my debt and your debt. He died. He took the punishment that we deserve for our debt of sin. But the cross also makes clear the depth of his love and forgiveness. Because Jesus willingly endured that for you and for me. He paid the debt of sin in full. And so we can stand at the foot of the cross and marvel. Jesus really is the friend of sinners. Marvel that Jesus has forgiven our sin, paid our debt through his death on the cross. That's how you grow in love for Jesus. Every day, looking to the cross, being honest about your sin, confessing it to the Lord and to others, looking to Jesus to receive forgiveness, to know that your debt has been paid, that you too, like her, can be saved by faith in him. Have your sins forgiven? For if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 49, who is this who even forgives sins? It's Jesus, the Son of God, the friend of sinners. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, so much that Jesus is the friend of sinners, that he welcomes even people like us. And we, we pray, Lord, that seeing that again, 
seeing our sin, seeing Jesus' love and forgiveness would humble us. And we pray too it would cause a deep love for Jesus to rise up in us. Please work that in us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing together.